you'll uh, please take your Bible and turn me at this time to the Gospel of Matthew, or Matthew chapter 18 and verses 6 through 9. Today is the second message in our new series on Jesus the Master Teacher. And uh, you'll notice today's message has a markedly different tone from last week's message. And that's because Jesus' teaching uh, in today's passage has a remarkably different tone than his teaching uh, from last week's passage. You know, last week we, we talked about how Jesus loves the little children. This week it's chop off your arm if it causes you to sin. <laughs> and then next week it's all about the good shepherd going after the lost little lamb. And you know what? Jesus was like that. He talked about both the tender and the tough parts of life, and often in the same setting. This is one of the reasons why Jesus is the master teacher. No subject was off limits. He wasn't concerned about pleasing his audience or watering things down. He didn't pull any punches. He told it like it is. That means sometimes we get a soft and tender passage like uh, last week and next week, and then sometimes we get a more difficult passage uh, like we have this week. So in Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 through 9, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning? Matthew 18, verses 6 through 9. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. But woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is the Word of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, last week we had an easy message. It's uh, easy uh, to talk about loving the little children. And uh, it was an easy one for us to receive into our hearts. Today is going to be harder for us, Lord, so we ask for your help. We ask that you would help us to open our hearts to what you would say to us through your Word. Holy Spirit, We ask that you would open our hearts to what you would say to us about our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So today's message is called Causing Sin. Causing Sin. Jesus is concerned about those who cause his followers to sin. He pronounces a woe upon this world and upon the person who causes others to sin. And then he is also concerned about the things in our own lives that cause us to sin. You know, we summed up last week's message as Jesus loves the little children and so should we, right? Remember that was what we talked about last week. Jesus loves the little children and so should we. Well, we can sum up today's message this way. God takes sin seriously, 
and so should we. God takes sin seriously, and so should we. Woe to those who cause sin in this world. Now, there's an outline in your worship guide this morning. If you'd like to take that out at this time, you'll uh, find all of the points we're going to be talking about laid out for you there, and uh, the Scriptures we'll be looking at, and there's room to jot down some notes if you'd like to as well. We begin this morning with God's fierce protection of His children. God's fierce protection of His children. And right away, we see why there is no contradiction between Jesus loves the little children last week and Jesus' tough words on sin this week. You see, the reason Jesus speaks so harshly about sin is because He loves us. It's because of God's great love for us. Sin is harmful to us, and so, of course, Jesus speaks harshly about sin. Look at verse 6 with me now as we get started. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And with this verse, Jesus transitions now from speaking simply about little children. Okay, that's what we saw last week, speaking simply about little children, to now speaking about believers in general. Now, this verse is transitional, and so it still includes the little children, right? We can assume that that little child whom Jesus had standing among them, that that little child's still standing there. And so the warnings attached to this verse would also apply to such things as child abuse or child neglect or abortion, uh, as we mentioned last week. But then I also want you to notice the change in this verse uh, where Jesus is no longer speaking just about the little ones, but he says, little ones who believe in me. In other words, Jesus is speaking about all believers here, whether they are little children who believe in him or whether they are simply believers who have become like little children. Remember we talked about that that last week? Who become like little children by putting their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And so as Jesus is talking about believers now, the little ones as believers, that makes us go back now and readjust verse 5 a little bit to broaden the application of verse 5. That's where Jesus said, whoever welcomes A little child in his name welcomes him as well. Now in this larger context, it also becomes clear, Jesus is saying, those who welcome believers in his name welcome Jesus as well. And so Jesus not only identifies with little children, he identifies with all believers, with everyone who puts their faith in him. You might wonder, well, why does Jesus call us little ones? Some of you might be looking at yourself, well, I'm not so little anymore, right? Why does Jesus call us little ones? Well, for several reasons. One, because we are little and insignificant in the eyes of the world. That's one reason he calls us little ones. Another reason is because we have made ourselves little, right? We have humbled ourselves like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then another reason is because we are His children. We are God's children. We are God's little ones. We've been adopted into His family as the children of God. 
And so we also are the little ones Jesus speaks of here in verse 6. These little ones who believe in Jesus. I also want you to notice the word one here in verse 6. Did you notice that? Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. You know, last week we looked at Matthew 10, 42. It's a verse that Nina actually sang about in her song uh, earlier today, where Jesus also emphasized the word one. He said this, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. And so just as there is great reward in helping even one of Jesus' disciples, so also there is severe punishment for harming even one. And that leads us now to the second half of verse 6, where Jesus talks about this millstone, right? But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Just as a parent will fiercely protect their children, so also God protects His children. You know, protecting children is instinctual to a parent. Human parents, animal parents. You know, when, when, when Rosie and I walk our dog Coco around the neighborhood, there's a lot of ducks in the neighborhood. I don't know if you've got ducks in your neighborhood. We've got ducks all over our neighborhood. And around this time of year, there's lots of little baby ducks. And so you come across a, a mother duck with all of her little babies, and Coco jumps out, and we've got them on the leash, and all the little babies will run behind Mama, and Mama Duck will spread out her wings like this. She'll make herself as big as she can. She'll stretch out her neck and she'll just start hissing at Coco. As if she's going to scare him away, right? But you see, she's instinctual. She's going to protect her kids. Even on a leash, the message is clear. Don't mess with my children, right? Now, Mother Duck is no match for a dog. Imagine if that was a bear with her cubs, though. Maybe Coco would be running the other way. I'm sure you've all heard the saying, don't provoke a mama bear with her children, right? Jesus says, don't provoke God with his children. God is the fierce protector of his children. And Jesus says it would be better for someone to drown with a millstone around their neck than to cause one of his little ones to sin. Now, the millstone here represents the severe consequences for those who cause believers to sin. The word Jesus uses here is not for a small millstone, one where you might grind uh, some grain by hand. Now, the word he uses here is for one of those giant millstones, you know, the the kind that you have to pull around in a circle with an oxen or, or a donkey pulling on it. These millstones weighed hundreds of pounds. They had a large hole in the middle. And so in this image, that large hole does what? That's what goes around your neck, right? Around the offending person's neck. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a real good death to me. Hang a large millstone around my neck, throw me into the deepest part of the ocean. I can't imagine there's too many people out there who are saying, you know, that's the way I want to go, right? 
You know, he's just not going to do that. And yet Jesus says that that type of death is preferable. Is preferable to the consequences of leading other people into sin, especially God's own children. Now we read about what will happen to those who uh, persecute God's people. Uh, In the book of 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes this in chapter 1. He says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people. So yes, as frightening as this millstone imagery is, it just points to an even deeper truth. It is better to drown in the waters of the ocean than to burn in the fires of hell. Part of what Jesus is saying with all this imagery also is that there is no escape. There's no escape for those who cause his children to stumble or sin. The weight of that millstone around the neck, uh, the depth of the sea guarantees, there's no escape from that. You're not going to get out from that one, are you? No escape from this judgment to come. In fact, the only escape possible would be if someone else were to take the weight of the millstone for you, which is exactly what Jesus did for us at the cross, right? Jesus took the weight of all your sins in mine. He took the weight of the sins of the whole world. And after taking that weight, he plunged himself under the ocean depths of God's anger and wrath for sin as he took God's just judgment for sin upon himself. Jesus took the millstone from your neck and he hung it around his own neck. Jesus is not only the master teacher, he is our wonderful Savior. And so that's the first verse in our passage today. Jesus tells us that God is the fierce protector of His children. Next, Jesus pronounces a woe upon those persons and things that cause people to sin. Those persons and things that cause people to sin. Look at verse 7 with me now. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Jesus actually pronounces two woes here. First, he pronounces a woe upon the world. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. A woe here is simply an expression of sorrow as well as a pronouncement of judgment. And Jesus takes it for granted here that there will always be things in this sinful world that cause people to sin. And yet he still pronounces a woe on the world because of those things that cause people to sin. Now when Jesus talks about things that cause people to sin, he uses a word here that is sometimes also translated as a stumbling block. Same word, a stumbling block. Well, a stumbling block is anything that you come across in your path that trips you up, right? That causes you to stumble. And then the same word can also refer to a trap or a snare. 
In this aspect of the word, this reminds us that there is always something deceptive about sin, right? The lure in the trap, the bait on the hook. It always looks good up front, right? But if you knew the consequences, you would run fast and far away. So what are some examples of things in this world that can trip us up, that can cause us to stumble or sin? Well, there's so many of them. Let me list just a few of them. You know, the movies we watch, the books we read, the music we listen to can all contain stumbling blocks or snares if we're not careful. Minimizing sin or denying sin can be a stumbling block to people. Inviting others to join you in your sin or or even just setting a bad example for someone else can be a stumbling block to other people. Living together before marriage is a huge stumbling block in our society. It's a stumbling block that causes many people to sin every day. Social media can be a stumbling block. If you use Facebook or Instagram, you need to be careful. You need to examine your motives before posting. Why are you posting? Is it to encourage other people? Praise God. But be careful not to post things that might cause someone else to sin through jealousy, envy, or resentment. False teaching is another major stumbling block in the world. Those who teach other people contrary to God's Word lead many people away from God and right into sin. So yeah, there, there are so many stumbling blocks around us in the world. That's why God tells us in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, and here he gives us just a, 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 a threefold summary of the things in the world that cause us to stumble, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. Those things come not from the Father but from the world. So that's the first woe Jesus pronounces here. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. And then he pronounces a second woe now to the person through whom these stumbling blocks come. Once again, Jesus recognizes that in a sinful world, there's always going to be things that cause people to sin. But he still pronounces a specific woe on those persons through whom those stumbling blocks come. In other words, we are responsible before God not only for our own sins, but also for our part in causing others to sin. Have you ever thought about that? That's what Jesus is telling us here. And we find a number of examples of this in Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament, Jeroboam. Jeroboam was one of the wicked kings of Israel. Ahijah uh, was the prophet at that time. And uh, in 1 Kings 14, 16, we read Ahijah's prophecy about Jeroboam. He says, and God will give Israel up. Why? Because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. Jeroboam not only sinned, he caused other people to sin. 
the rabbis considered Jeroboam to be the worst sinner of all. Why? Because he not only sinned himself, but he also caused Israel to sin. And of course, the biggest example of all is Satan. Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin, and in in the process, he brought sin and ruin on the entire world. It's no wonder the Bible tells us that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. And so just because there will always be things in the world that cause people to sin, that does not relieve us of our responsibilities in this matter. There are no excuses before God. Okay, we can't say, well, if it wasn't me, it would have been someone else. That's not going to fly. Doesn't work. Think about Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Jesus said this about Judas in Matthew 26, 24. He said, the Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. He's talking about going to the cross. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. What's Jesus saying? Jesus said, hey, I'm going to the cross anyways, right? This was God's plan from the beginning. Judas or not, Jesus was going to the cross. But Judas was still responsible for his own actions. So yes, there will always be things in the world that cause people to stumble or sin. But Jesus says, woe to the person through whom they come. We are responsible not only for our own sins, but for our part in causing others to sin as well. We're responsible not only for our own spiritual growth, but also for the spiritual growth and well-being of others. I like what Warren Warren Wearsby says about these verses. He says, the truly humble person helps to build up others, not tear them down. He's a stepping stone, not a stumbling block. Jesus says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin, and woe to the person through whom they come. So, Jesus begins our passage talking about God as the fierce protector of His children. We've looked at that. Next, He pronounces a woe to those who cause sin. We've looked at that. And then finally, Jesus speaks about our urgent need to avoid sin in our own lives. Look at verses 8 and 9 now with me, where Jesus says this, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus has just pronounced a woe on those who cause others to sin. But if you want to avoid leading other people into sin, you must first take care of the sin in your own life. And so Jesus tells you to get rid of anything anything in your life that causes you to sin. And he does so using this very graphic imagery, right? Cutting off your hand or foot, gouging out your eye. We saw something very similar to this back in Matthew chapter 5 when we studied the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave very similar instructions in Matthew 5. 
There he was talking about the sin of adultery and how we should avoid even looking lustfully at another person with our eyes. I'm going to tell you now what I said back then in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is not saying that you should actually start lopping off limbs to avoid sin, okay? Jesus is not advocating self-harm here. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not to harm your own body. Jesus is not recommending self-amputation. Although there are circumstances, right, when a person does need to have a limb amputated in order to save their physical life. There's gangrene. The gangrene is spreading. You lose the limb to save the life, right? Well, if that's true in physical life, how much more must we practice spiritual amputation in order to save our spiritual lives? Jesus is not talking about physically removing eyes and limbs. Rather, he's talking about performing spiritual surgery on our lives. The hand and the foot here represent those actions that lead you into sin. Get rid of them. The eye represents those things you view or even think about that lead you into sin. Jesus says, get rid of them. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 puts it this way. It says, let us throw off everything. There's that word everything again. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, you need to get rid of everything in your life that pulls you and other people away from God, away from Jesus. Just as it's better to lose a leg than to lose your life. It's better to lose your sin than to lose your eternal life. So let's get personal here. What are some of the specific things in your life that cause you to stumble or sin? What are some of the traps or snares that you fall for over and over again? I want you to know I'm not picking on you this morning. I'm picking on all of us, myself included, all right? We all have those stumbling blocks. We all have those snares that we fall for. Jesus tells you to identify them in your life, and then he tells you to be brutal with them. Cut them off. Amputate them from your life. If you're not a Christian this morning, there may be certain sins in your life that are keeping you from coming to Jesus. Which will you choose? Jesus or your sin? If you are a Christian, there may be certain sins in your life that are keeping you from growing in Christ. Which will you choose? Jesus or your sin? Jesus says extreme circumstances call for extreme measures and nothing is more urgent or extreme than our need to avoid sin. Don't be like St. Augustine who as a young man prayed this prayer. Lord, make me pure, but not yet. That was his prayer. (laughs) Lord, clean me up. Not quite yet. Jesus says, take decisive action. 
Jesus says, get rid of anything in your life that causes you to sin, no matter what the cost. And why? Why? Very simply, because it is better to go without than to suffer the eternal fire of hell. Charles Spurgeon commented on these verses, two hands, two feet, two eyes will be of small advantage if cast into everlasting fire. Someone else put it this way, it is better to go limping into heaven than leaping into hell. No sacrifice is too great. No matter what you must do to get rid of sin in this life, it is worth it. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. He said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, speaking of God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What's Jesus saying here? Your physical life is important, yes, but your spiritual life and your eternal life are far more important. The Bible tells us we must all stand before God one day and give an account for our lives. The Bible tells us in that day, books will be opened. And then another book will be opened, which is the book of life. And the dead will be judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And then Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 tells us this. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I read that verse, you know what? And I've only got one question on my mind. Only one question. You read that verse, you should only have one question. Do you know what that is? How do I get my name into the book of life? Right? How do I get my name into this book? Nothing could be more important. And as we've already said, it's so simple. Because Jesus already did everything for you. All you need to do is come to God, confessing your sin and putting your faith in Jesus who died at the cross for your sins. And when you do that, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God forgives you of all your sin. He washes you clean. He makes you a new creation in Christ. He gives you His Holy Spirit and He adopts you into His family and He writes your name in the book of life for all of eternity. Praise God. Jesus says, get rid of anything in your life that causes you to sin. It is better to go without than to suffer the eternal fire of hell. In conclusion, God is holy. We are sinful. Life is is short, eternity is long. We are responsible to God not only for our own sins, but for all the ways in which we contribute to the sins of others. We should especially be careful of the way that we may harm believers because God is fiercely protective of His children. But we should, be, we should beware of all sin, knowing its consequences, and we should put our faith in Jesus so that we may be saved from sin and death and hell.
Jesus took the millstone from your neck and he put it upon his own neck so that you could follow him so that you would not stumble and fall. I'll close with the words from Jude, uh, the book of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you that you are the master teacher and that you did not shy away from difficult subjects. Lord, we need to hear this word today. We don't want to hear this word today, but we, we need to, Lord. We're so sorry for our sin. We're so sorry for stumbling into the same things over and over again. And Lord, we thank you that there's grace there for us each time, but we don't want to take advantage of that grace. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone here today who may never have trusted you as their Savior. There are so many people in this world who are walking around, they get this large millstone on their neck and they don't need to be carrying that weight and that burden. Lord Jesus, you offer to take it for us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's never trusted you, that today they would allow you to lift that millstone from their neck. That they would put their trust in you. For your yoke is easy. And your burden is light. And they would know the wonder of salvation and forgiveness of sins and a brand new start and a brand new life and the assurance of having their name written in the book of life for all of eternity. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.